Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing podcast. And we've got a uh, we've got a quick hitter podcast for you today. We are going to preview the Upland Bird Hunting Super Super, super issue. And the voice on the other end of the table, on the other end of the line, is a voice you probably recognize from previous podcasts. Tom Carpenter, lovingly referred to as Carp. <laughs> and Bob didn't even, at one point, Bob didn't even know my name is Tom. He thought I was just Carp. Just Carp. Yep. Just Carp. The, uh, the editor of the Pheasants Forever Journal and the editor of the Upland Bird Hunting Super Issue. That's right. That's the Minnesota, that's the Minnesota accent on it. <laughs> but there's a lot more than Minnesota in it, I'll tell you that. Well, let's let's tell folks a little bit about the history of the super issue because this will be the third super issue yep. in our history, and it was an idea conceptualized by Anthony Houck yep. um, that sort of bridged pheasants forever and quail forever together. Because yep. oh, three years ago, quail forever members got four issues of the Quail Forever Journal. Pheasants forever members got five issues. And that fifth issue was, back in the day, we called it the the pheasant hunting preview issue. Yep. And uh, Anthony had the the good idea of, hey, let's let's get those Quail Forever members a fifth issue. Let's combine forces. Um, kind of. Yeah, and it also plays off what both, almost all pheasant and quail hunters hunt other other species too and that that's another impetus behind it is to to celebrate far beyond you know what 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 we're committed to as an organization as the mission but a lot and a lot of these other game birds we're going to talk about benefit from pheasants and quail forever's efforts too and um it's just a big roll-up of of the upland lifestyle and no better illustration of that than the the cover you have selected for this issue. Yeah, it was a. Uh, I, I had the uh, the brainstorm. I don't think I don't know how unique it was, but I wanted to commission artwork for the cover of this issue. So whether if you're a member and on social media, or if you're just looking around on social media, um, we do have the cover out there, whether you're a Pheasants Forever member or a Quail Forever member. And it's, it was commissioned, so this artwork, and I've got it in my hands here, you can't see it, but I'm going to describe it. And you'll probably want to, if you don't, if you're not a member, you're going to want to get it, if nothing else, for the artwork. But I guarantee you there's a lot more. But basically, it's an image of hunting huns uh, in Montana. And I won't say the mountain range, it's below. But it is Ben Williams, who uh, ostensibly is the shooter in the picture. And it's a covey of huns. There's one Brittany in the picture on the cover, but there's actually multiple Brittanys in the full art, which you will see in the magazine. And if anybody knows anything about Ben Williams, he's he's probably the world's, North America's foremost expert on Huns, mm -hmm. and probably in a way Brittanys as well. He he bred his own line of Brittanys, big ranging Brittanys, uh, built for the front range in Montana, the high prairie. And it's just a beautiful piece of artwork. It's done by uh, the aptly named Bob White, who is <laughs> out of Marine on St. Croix, Minnesota. If, if you don't know who he is, uh, look him up online. Gorgeous artwork. He does a lot of fishing and fly fishing, uh, but he also is, does a lot of bird hunting. And it's just a gorge, gorgeous image. Uh, it's an oil, um, and uh, it's just, it really captures what it's like. And, and we're not teasing. His name, the artist's name, is actually it's bob white bob white yep and he's a great guy uh we work closely on this image uh closely meaning he'd show me what he was doing and i'd say boy that looks good <laughs> and uh and now and and then the other part of the story is beyond this four color art there's there's three sketches pencil sketches in the magazine we actually even left page page numbers off those pages if people want to clip those pages out 
they're they're frame worthy um and they're i'm not going to reveal what they are but they're different aspects of hunt hunting and then there's the story mm-hmm. and ben wrote that story and it's just one of the stories it happens to be the lead story for this issue um, but it's about his life with huns it's about how he got to know huns how huns got here a hungarian partridge gray partridge how they got here into north america all the attempts that didn't take um, but some that did were, that were actually around Calgary and out Al- in Alberta. Hmm. So Huns actually came south into much of the northern U.S. and that north and didn't move north into Canada. Um, and there's also an epilogue about about a very special place to him. And I think that special place is probably what we see on the cover of the magazine. I wanted artwork on the cover. Uh, we commissioned it. And um, it's very unique and it's very beautiful, and I, I think folks are going to like it. It's it's got me excited, as you can tell. Yeah, <laughs> and and Hans are, um, you know, you, you led into this with it's more than pheasants, it's more than quail. Um, you know, the super issue celebrates all upland birds. Yep. Huns are kind of that perfect bird that bridges the the quail hunter to the pheasant hunter. Yep, they bring you out to that big country. Um, they're a covey bird for the quail guy mm-hmm. um, or gal or gal. Yep, and they're and they're sneaky like pheasants too. Uh, not that quail aren't, but they they just and they bridge a certain type of country um, when they're especially out in Montana. Um, but that, that, that's quail, that, that's Han country now is that big country. I, I grew up with Huns in Southwestern Wisconsin. There's not a not lot left now. Mm-hmm. They sort of went with the, uh, as the dairy farm went away in alfalfa fields, but I grew up with, with Huns, uh, down there. And, and, and this is totally different than, than that Western and that Northern Hun. They're a very special bird. And, and Ben has spent his life breeding dogs to hunt them. And his license plate on his truck it says huns um <laughs> and a lot if you don't know who ben williams is you, you know you'll be introduced to him through this he's written a lot of books as well one specific, just on huns um and he he's one of the dean of pointing dog writers and upland writing so and uh you know one further connection between you and ben is you wrote the the preface to probably his most uh, famous book. Yeah, his book on Winston, which is his fo- most famous bird dog, uh, one of his big ranging Britneys. And uh, Winston was actually the um, father of one of my first Britneys. Huh, I didn't know that. Yes. It. Yep. And um, when I wrote that preface, Winston's daughter was at my feet. Huh. And um, so. Ben has written about Winston, about Huns, about Western hunting, um, pointing dogs, and um, he's one of the deans of of upland writing and bird dog writing. He's a dear friend of mine. I've hunted with him many times, um, but he's also a great writer, and uh, he really connects with connects with you, the reader, and uh, it's a good start to the magazine. It's so great. What, <clears throat> what we're gonna do? Um throughout the the rest of this podcast is kind of talk through, uh, well, not kind of, we are going to talk through <laughs> some of the, the key features of the Upland Bird Hunting Super Issue. But just, just so folks know, if you are a Pheasants Forever member currently or a Quail Forever member currently, your $35 membership onto your $10,000 Patreon membership gets you a subscription to our publications. And the Upland Birds Super Issue is part of that subscription. Um, it comes out every year uh, as as we get towards the end of summer, into fall, and it's our celebration of the season ahead. But if you're listening to this podcast and are not yet a member of Pheasants Forever or Quail Forever... You still have time. We have a deadline of the 4th of July. So the end of the evening on the 4th of July, as those fireworks go (laughs) off, uh, reminder in your head that uh, if you're not currently a member, go online to pheasantsforever.org or quailforever.org. Sign up to become a member, and you will meet our deadline, and the Upland Bird Hunting Super Issue will be delivered to your mailbox in time when it does mail yet this summer but that deadline is the end of the 4th of July so midnight on the 4th of July we're going to come into the office on the 5th (laughs) 
and your, your process name better be those on names there. and uh and and if you hit those that list by the fifth we'll get you on the the membership roster in this particular issue we'll we'll get into the mail uh we we touched on the cover we touched on the feature the from ben o williams ben o williams yep. that will be um the the um kind of the the main anchor in this particular issue but it's a 192 page edition yep. of our publication uh pheasants forever journal and quail forever journal it is the single largest issue in the history of pheasants forever and quail forever what else has got you excited in those 192 pages, Carp? Well, you know, we started out talking about our feature story, the cover, and but it's just it's just an intro to everything that's in this book. I call it a book. Um, it's a magazine, of course, but sort of that's some of the old the, some of the old fashioned nomenclature about you, we call magazines books. But there's more than, and we'll get into some of the other why we hunt. Uh, there's a lot of that in here, but there's also a lot of hands-on content for the upland hunter, the adventurer, to plan a hunt. One thing we did with the issue this year, the, our biggest ever, is we flopped places with our fall issue. So now the upland super issue is going to come up in August. There's going to be plenty of time for you to see this issue. And two things. One, you're just going to get excited for upland season if you're not already. The 4th of July often marks sort of that... Uh, turning of the tide as far as okay now I can really turn my attention to upcoming upland seasons it will do that but it'll also offer you ideas and insights uh, for places to go and things to do that you might put on the list already this year or you might for another year and you will have time to do it this year mm -hmm. because because we're scheduling it earlier so two of those stories one is by uh we also I, i've also made sure to involve quail forever editor chad love he's he's key to a couple of the uh biggest features in this magazine as well and one of those are 10 uh mixed bag hunts we call it mixing it up and those are combo hunts and chad has done some of them some of the other ones he's researched but he's outlined 10 great combo hunts that will focus on have they some of them have two upland species some have upland and water one has upland and waterfowl and some have upland bird and fish but for the most part they're upland and upland um, for instance the um, uh, upland and fish one is chuckers and cutthroats mm. nevada what's what's your number one bucket list mixed bag that you you want to do out there on your your, your list my number one bucket list i don't i I'm, ask me that toward the end again, because <laughs> I've got to go through all that. Because there, what there is is there's a lot of bucket list yeah. in this. Now there's a lot of stuff that, you know, if you're a Midwesterner or a Southerner, you can. It, it's it's a day's drive to get there and do some of this yeah. stuff. You know, you don't have to commit a lifetime and take a a year's worth of vacation to do some of these. But I'm going to defer on the my biggest upland. Mixed bucket bag. list for yeah. now okay for for a mixed bag um but i guarantee you there's some in in chad's story another one are prairie grouse and muskie in nebraska mm. you there's some of these prairie lakes out in western nebraska in the sand hills and you can on prairie grouse and get out on some of these lakes um Roosters and mallards in South Dakota. You know, South Dakota has a draw for waterfowl, but the draw is easier than it used to be. Right. And you can get some three-day licenses. You can combine it with uh, pheasant hunting, with some duck hunting. Uh, of course, that might be a little longer um, Yeah, we got a handful trip. of guys in the office here. Brian Essling, Andrew Ver almost every year they put in for that waterfall hunt in South Dakota, which, like you say, is a, a lottery draw. And they get picked every year. Yep. It, it, there's a lot of folks that sort of shy away because the numbers are not real high in terms of the number of permits that are available. Or, yeah. But the percentage of winning that permit is actually pretty high. Yeah. The last I looked, it was it was 
well over 70%. Mm-hmm. You know, you could get it. it with a little luck, you could get it every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's Chad's, Chad's mixing it up story. It's 10 great combo hunts. I just give, gave you a few, a few little ideas from it. Um, now, there's another where-to article, and this is by Andrew McKean out of Montana, a good friend of Pheasants Forever. And Andrew did five classic upland hunts all planned out. And that's every detail that you would need to get started planning some of these bucket list hunts Hmm. that I don't know if you'd call them bucket list hunts, but they're because they're not that far out there Mm -hmm. as far as, um, you know, what getting them done. But sometimes you just got to make a decision and go. And what he talks about, and these are a page, these are a page, these are detailed. I mean, here's editor talk here, but these are like 500 word summaries of when to go, where to stay, how to hunt, who to contact. I mean, this is a planner where you can get, you can start your planning on with, with these five outlines of these five classic hunts. So if you went through college using cliff notes, uh huh, this is the article for you, right? It's it the, is. It's the how to, you never place that, uh, made that commitment to go to South Dakota. Yep. And because you're intimidated by, buying a non-resident license and figuring out how to make it happen. Andrew McKeon, who is a long, was a longtime editor of Outdoor yes. Life, just a spectacular outdoor writer, um, always some, gives us some great content. And, and that'll be an article that is, you know, really a destination reading. Yep. Talk, he's talking about Michigan roughs, South Dakota prairie grouse and pheasants, a Montana mixed bag, Arizona quail, if you want to get away in the winter, and then Great Basin bombers, which are, are some of the sage grouse places you can go in the Intermountain West. Yep. You know, maybe not, not, the, not the typical classic places you might think of Wyoming or Montana, but Nevada, Utah, mm. in that inner mountains, uh, where, you know, maybe you, maybe you only get a, a, a couple birds bag limit, but mm-hmm. who really needs more when you're going on for a sage grouse right, hunt? Right. Um, so, so that's gonna, those are a couple of the where to's, um, you know, to me that gets a little, a little business done with this magazine issue, which is what we want to do. But the rest of the magazine is a lot of really some of the some of the rewarding stuff that an editor wants to do um and and i have some stories in there um other authors do but a lot of what comes after that is adventure and the why and um i think that's that's part of what we want to do with this issue too is just to inspire people to get out and love the uplands and hunt them no matter what it is and um, if you're only a pheasant hunter or only a quail hunter, this issue will probably make you interested in going out after something else. You already have the bird dog. Why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's a funny thing. You know, you, you can interchange your bird dog on all these. I mean, there's, to me, there's really no quail dog, no pheasant dog. They all know how to do it all. Mm-hmm. You just got to get them out and give them a chance, don't you think? Yeah, and, and I think you you touched on something that's always been critical to this particular issue. It is the celebration of the hunting, right? I mean, we yep. we inter um, interweave habitat in all of our publications because that's our mission at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, creating the habitat for um, you know the 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 well creating the habitat for these birds we yep. talk about pollinators we talk about monarch butterflies and we talk about haying grazing and crp in the farm bill and the last issue we just did was a celebration of bird dogs the summer issue was bird dogs but this issue is really about that that connection between people's love of hunting and that it's that bird hunting that fuels the passion for the habitat it fuels the passion for the dogs it is the kind of the genesis for the creation of this mission right if you if you read um or if you listen to the podcast with dennis anderson about the origin story of pheasants forever it's bird hunters saw a decline in the number of pheasants around no five quail hunters saw the decline in the number of quail and, and the loss of habitat it's that um, that celebration of hunting, that passion for hunting, 
that fuels the mission of this organization. And this one particular publication is all about, you know, lacing up the boots, getting behind a bird dog, and really celebrating the places, the people, and the memories that yep. um, that that are behind this mission. That's a perfect description, and and one of the first stories in the magazine that does that happens to be yours. <laughs> uh, well, and yeah. that's Montana horseback sharp tails. So why don't you get? I'll, I'll turn the table. I'll be the interviewer, or, or I'll be the host. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about this tale. So, and this was. Um, Podcast number four, if you want to go back into the archives, uh, we recorded a podcast with my friends uh, John Zeman and Dan Voss at the back of their horse trailer um, last September. And John Zeman has been a long time a friend of mine. He, he's got a couple of horses and a, a bunch of big run and pointing dogs, and he's always invited me um, out to Montana for a horseback, sharp tail, and Hungarian partridge hunt. And I've always had, honestly, Pheasants Forever events um, that uh, end of September, I'm sorry, end of August, early September, where I couldn't get away. And But you write in the story, you defended, you defended your Labor Day like a NHL goalie. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I made the commitment early on in 2018 that September 1st, I was going to be in a horse trailer with John Zeman. <laughs> and I tell you what, I, I'm really thankful that I did. Not only was I with great guys, um, but it was just a, a really eye-opening experience to bird hunt behind your dogs from atop a horse. And, um, you know, the, it, it would take a better shot than me to hunt behind a um a flushing dog on top of a horse. <laughs> uh, I'm not Lone Ranger, so we were uh, we were all hunting behind pointing dogs. So I tell the story of of kind of how you approach in, in the super issue. I tell the story of how you approach a hunt from atop a horse. Mm -hmm. And um, you know we had dogs that were running literally 900 yards wow. out. Um, the first day we covered 28 miles. Uh, in the first morning, sorry, the first morning, the dogs covered that, or the, dogs the horse, the, the dogs dog, covered dog it based miles. on uh, wow. based on the, the the GPS units we were using. Wow. Uh, um, so we we got into a few sharpies, got into a few huns. Uh, you know, big beautiful big sky country of Montana again. Yeah. Um, and, there, we, and there's pictures, and there are pictures. Pictures of the horse trailer we slept in yep. after we cleaned it out <laughs> of horse apples. Horse apples. Uh, we slept in the trailer and, and got up in the morning, saddled the horses, and walked out into the prairie on top of a horseback behind a bird dog. And uh, So, yeah, that, that story is in the super issue. And um, in Well, you, you, said a, you said a line, and I wrote it down here. You said, thankful I did. And that's an important message that, that we want this book this magazine to get across is you don't have forever to do some of this stuff get out and do it and, and my my line always is i've never regretted going and doing something right it might be a big pain to plan it to pack for it to rearrange your life to do it but when have you ever come back from an adventure like the horseback sh sharp tail hunt and regretted it never right that's what we hope you get out of this magazine. Yeah, because it, it, it's the stories like the horseback hunt that, you know, when, it, when it's February 16th <laughs> and blizzarding. <laughs> um, or when, you know, when I'm 92 and, you know, yep. thinking back on the greatest days and greatest hunts, I'll remember those dogs and those friendships and that, that beautiful scenery. And, you know, an, um, yep. an automatic smile will come to my face. And, yep. Um, I was able to document that in the super issue. So it was a real fun Who knows? Experience. Maybe that's where you'll be and it'll be just fine. Yeah. 92 on top of a horse. Well, I had a couple stories, too, that maybe some of it 
gets uh, gets along those lines as well um, that I wanted to talk about and tell. One was, again, involves Chad Love, our friend from Quail Forever. And um, Chad and I, uh, I sort of start the story out like this, is when the in last year about this time, midsummer, we were the new editors of each Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. And you would think uh, two editors getting together for their first hunt together and of such organizations would be roosters and bobs. <laughs> right. But it wasn't. <laughs> it was prairie chickens and doves in Kansas. And it wasn't really a meet in the middle. It was like three quarters, meet three quarters of the way down for carp and a quarter, maybe a quarter of the way up for Chad because he was con coming up out of Oklahoma. We met in Kansas, uh, Kansas's Smoky Hills, and it's called Post Rock Country um, because when the first settlers were there, there weren't enough trees to build fences. Hmm. So they quarried limestone, and the fence posts are limestone. They're, po they're stone. Hmm. Uh, hence post rock and many of them are still in use and I sort of say in the I say in the story that many of them are just lines of posts wandering derelict across the prairie they're not used anymore but they're there hmm. and uh, it's really cool country it's wide open uh, it's a lot of fun to be in um, the horizon is probably a hundred miles away hmm. And it is gorgeous country, and um, I'm not going to reveal too much of what happened during the story, but I'll say it was my first, ex I would call it my first real experience with real dove hunting. Uh, you know, I've dabbled in it in Minnesota, but it's not really like setting up on a mud hole or on the edge of a field, you know, classic dove hunting. And, and I didn't really use the line in the story, but I sort of think it is is I came for the chickens, but I stayed for the doves. <laughs> um, having never dove hunted before, it was one of the main attractions for me. Hmm. And I talk a lot about hunting doves down there. And uh, it was I was quite delighted with dove hunting, I have to say. And uh, I did get one prairie chicken with my dog. And um, she was just a pup at the time, and that was pretty special too. But it's a great story, and it was great being down there with Chad, um, uh, just just two guys camping out and wandering the prairie. Um, I also have a story about woodcock um, that I wrote about, and that's maybe a, a bird that a fair number of Minnesotans know, and Midwesterners are, are, are all our members in Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, um, a lot, and, and in the Northeast, a lot of us are woodcockers, too. Mm -hmm. You are, as yeah. a youper. Timber doodles, eh? And doodles. So I write a little bit about, about uh, a woodcock and Prince of the Lowlands. Um, and then I have one final story that I did in there about I call it Iowa bookends. I, I sort of hit the earliest, earlier part of the season and then the very end of the season in Iowa last year with a couple of chap, PF chapters in Iowa and had some fun hunts and, and made some, met some great people down there. Um, so those are some of, my, some of my contributions as a writer to uh, the Upland Super issue. And, and the Iowa hunt is pheasants and then quail as well, right? Yeah, we had quail on the back on the backside in, in western Iowa. Um, the the jury is still out at this point, and, pro and will still be when our podcast come comes out on, you know, what did our winter do to the quail in, in Iowa last year? You know, it's sort of the upper upper northern edge of quail range, but there were plenty of quail where we were in west central Iowa last year as well. Uh, my son and I on that last on that last hunt, we were in Crawford County, Iowa, hunting with the uh, uh, K R Buck and the Crawford County chapter there. Um, a lot of great people there, and we had a, it, was, it was just a great time, great way to end the season. Yeah, and I remember going into the quail season last year. Todd Bogan shoots the um, upland biologist for Iowa DNR. I believe he said, if you're ever going to hunt quail, this is the year in yep. Iowa. And it was a 28-year high, I yep. believe, in, in quail numbers. So yep. it was a good year to, to chase quail around yep. in Iowa. And uh, yeah, it's one of those things we say: don't wait forever to, on any of this stuff. Get there, get there, and do it. So, speaking of quail, we also it, the the magazine wouldn't be complete without a Chad Love quail story. And I t I asked Chad to do a story on Oklahoma quail, 
and Chad being Chad um, didn't follow instructions. <laughs> and the story is all the better because of it. Mm-hmm. And that's what you expe- come to expect out of Chad. And um, I call it my Chad o- Chad's Oaky Quail essay. And it's not – he. Chad said, I don't want to regurgitate the same old, come to Oklahoma, it's a great place to hunt quail, head west, young man, blah, blah, blah. Chad pretty much goes into, why the heck would you ever want to come to Oklahoma to hunt quail? And turns it into, I got to go to Oklahoma and hunt mm-hmm. quail. And that's about what, that's what it is. It's about how hard it is, how challenging it is, the wind, the thorns, the briars, the uh, everything that happens, freezing, and... Um, how he won't give it up for the world yeah. and how you probably want to got to get out there and do it too. I haven't read everything in the super issue yet. I've only read a few of the articles and uh, that, that I have read Chad's Oklahoma quail essay and it stands out as my favorite thus far. Cause it's like you say, it's um, when you get and when you go down to Oklahoma to quail hunt and I've had that experience just once you get your butt kicked. Yep. But when you get a bird, a couple of birds, you know, it's a fist pump sort of moment because you know that uh, you've achieved something. It's, they, I think Oklahoma is the third highest number of quail uh, harvested yep. in, in, in a year after Texas and Kansas, generally speaking. Yep. But, uh, um, but, you know, still the terrain, the country, you know, whether it's the sage or the mesquite, the cactus, you know, you... You get poked and prodded, and um, when yeah. you when you uh, get a covey up and you knock a couple down, it's a it's 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 a very memorable moment. And it, folks um, may know the Chad Love name. Obviously, he's been the editor of Quail Forever for a year now. But whether it's Mouthful of Feathers or the Mallard of Discontent, the mm-hmm. two blogs he's been associated with for a better part of the last decade, Chad's got a real literary. Uh, dry sense of humor that uh, is is really um, oh it's thought provoking and really wonderful writer so uh, just an excellent essay for that's uh, another anchor within this this issue yeah I think it's 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 this is either the title or subtitle but it's so you want to hunt Oklahoma quail huh and uh, <laughs> That's that's uh, that about sums up Chad's approach uh, in a nutshell. And um, another thing about Chad, I, and I talk about it in our in our post rock chickens and doves story, is uh, he actually guided me to his to my first ever limit of doves. Hmm. And um, I had hunted a more an evening or two on my own, and Chad said, "Let's go this third night." That that we'd hunt chickens in the morning doves in the evening dogs were tired and um he took me out and uh the long story short is i got 15 doves and i had a pile of doves and a pile of shells and i counted my doves i had 15 the limit which i had never done before which was cool and i counted my shells and there were 52 (laughs) and chad was pretty much just letting me shoot Uh at the easy shots out front you know coming in the decoy maybe sailing over and uh, but every once in a while he'd pop out back, he'd turn around and shoot out in b- b- back of us in the pasture, fairly closely cropped pasture. And when we were done, he said in his oaky ways, "This is all he said. There you go, your first limit of doves." And that was it. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, let's." And we went and counted his, and he had twelve doves and fourteen shells hmm. on the ground. So when he, when he tells you he can't shoot, well, don't believe him. Yeah. All right. So that's a great essay. Uh, so, and then we have some other big adventure too. Um, and this is another employee of the organizations that gave us our next one. And his name is Matt Harding. And he's our Western representative. And he was on the Idaho podcast yep. uh, maybe two episodes ago. And Matt did a story on hunting Himalayan snowcock in Nevada. And it's big game hunting-esque, but it's upland hunting. Um, as, I, as I read his, his story and, and did a, you know, he, he did a great job with it. Um, he, he wrote about three times as much material as we needed. And uh, we, we worked it down. And, and it's really, it's really a, you really get the flavor of what it's like to mm-hmm. do this at 10,000 feet in elevation. And to me, it combines upland bird hunting, 
with big game hunting with elements of turkey hunting hmm. um, in, in different ways, not that you call them, but in the way you might sneak around and try and get at them and pattern them and look for them. And uh, it's just, uh, and there's, picture, there's pictures with it too. Uh, you know, I, didn't re I, don't, I hardly even knew what a snowcock looked like. Right. And, um, and it's, a, it's a great tale, and it's an upland venture that a few of us would ever undertake. I mean, I don't even know if I could do it anymore uh, at that altitude. Mm -hmm. I think physically I could, but 10,000 feet, I don't know. Mm. Um, but it, it's a great story with great pictures, and um, it's a great dreamer to, to read that story. Well, and if folks hear that Himalayan snowcock, they, they maybe think of uh, the Project Upland video uh, that came yep. out about a year ago. Well, Matt was the feature. Uh, well, one of two guys featured in that video. And shortly after that, maybe two months after that, we had a job opening for the regional rep, as you say, in the western United States. Matt applied for it. And he's got a really interesting background. He grew up in parts of England, parts of Australia, lives in Nevada now, uh, Nevada, Nevada. Yeah. <laughs> and, you say uh, Nevada, I yeah. say Nevada. <clears throat> uh, spent some time in Oregon and uh, a really interesting guy. So he tells that story that you maybe or may not have seen um, through Project Upland in the Upland Bird Hunting Super Issue. So that would be yep. a real, I have not read that one yet, so I'm really excited to see it. Yeah, it's a great story. Uh, a big, big adventure, high country uh, in Nevada. Um, he transports you there. It's a cool story. So we've got maybe half dozen more hunting stories in the Upland Birds Super Issue. But before we go to that, uh, one of the other uh, features is our annual shotgun showcase yep. uh, written by Rachel Hovland. And uh, let's, let's grab Rachel for a minute and have her tell her, have her tell us the, uh, some of her favorite shotguns yep. that uh, will be part of the shotgun showcase article. Uh, thanks for joining us, Rachel. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bob and Carp. Well, I just, uh, Rachel is, uh, I call Rachel shotgun advisor to the editor of Pheasants Forever <laughs> Journal. She's my go-to source. She's my go-to resource for all things shotguns and shooting. And uh, she's a PF staffer here. And um, I know a few people that know more about shotguns than her. And that's why we tapped her to do the shotgun showcase this year. So we wanted, because she's right here, we wanted to get her in and just do a little bit. Well, that, that is uh, an important point because you lead um, a lot of events for the organization, Women Introducing Women events. Yeah, um, this is kind of like all this our stuff has happened kind of by happenstance, I suppose. But um, I've always been interested in shooting sports. My dad was always involved when I was a kid, and that's just kind of taken off with, from there. I got involved shooting sporting clays, and then from there, I've had folks, you know, say, oh, would you teach my wife to shoot? Would you teach my girlfriend to shoot? And then kind of we just realized there was a demand for that kind of thing. So um, the pat I think this will be our fifth year or so. We've just been hosting what we call Women Teaching Women, you know, get the men out of there and um, create a safe environment for folks to learn how to shoot. And I guess that just coincides. I joke a little bit, but they call me shotgun freak around here. I just <laughs> have a, a really strong personal interest in um Shotguns, for whatever reason, kind of my passion project. So I was really honored when Carp went ahead and invited me to be a part of this project. Um, this was my first shotgun showcase. And those of you that are unfamiliar, it's kind of where we have reps come in from the industry, bring in a variety of makes and models for us to um, come in and shoot and review. And we invite, um, I don't know, uh, maybe we had 50 or so folks yeah. come in. So I was able to design these um, review sheets where we kind of focused on, you know, um, fit, style, um, versatility, price, you know, what different things they liked about each shotgun. So we had um, these makes and models out there on the course, um, had these folks come out, um, shoot around a sporting clays while shooting all these different guns and kind of give us a little bit of their feedback on what they thought of the firearms aside from. You know, I have my own personal opinion, but I'm but one humble opinion. <laughs> well, that was the question I was curious about is if um, your own opinions, how closely they matched up to the other 50 shooters. Um, I would say maybe on about 
two thirds, I was pretty in line with what the masses yeah. thought, but maybe on another third, I was a little surprised on um, what folks thought. Sure. <laughs> yeah, right. Because that's, I, in some respects, that's sort of expected, right? Because yeah. we all have different likes and dislikes when it comes to picking a shotgun. Definitely. So. And that's why we kept some stuff out of there. Like, um, you know, we all, we're all different shapes and sizes, right? So not mm-hmm. every gun is going to fit us perfectly out of the box. So I kind of tried to steer us away from, you know, um, if you're really into semi-auto, still give this over and under a chance. If you're really petite, you know, still give this other gun a chance. Just keeping in mind, you know, you'd probably have to make some adjustments sure. in order for it to work for you. Um, we had some women-specific guns out on the course, and we had a lot of the men like, I don't want to shoot those. I'm not going to shoot a woman's gun. I was like, no, I still need your input. It still could fit you. You never mm-hmm. know. So just give it a chance. So um, it, it was really interesting to see the wide variety of opinions on on everything, and I'm really glad we had that input just, again, so I can diversify just from what just one person thinks on these things. So what were your favorites? We mean, we have 20 guns. We can't go over 20. <laughs> and they, and uh, Rachel's written all the writing slash written. They'll be, they'll be out complete in the magazine, of course, all the summaries. What are some of your, what are some of your favorite, what did you see come through that, that got high ratings that people like? Um, and, and you might coincide with that judgment or not. We value your judgment too, but what are some of the, what are some of the top picks the, in this year's Shotgun Showcase? Yeah, um, I mean, we had a huge variety of guns out there. And like you said, we had quite a few guns. We had to keep it down to 20 just to fit in the magazine. Unfortunately, the magazine can't be all shotgun reviews. <laughs> you would like that, yeah, wouldn't you? <laughs> as much as we want it to be. Um, one thing I thought was really exciting, we had um, Sour. They're, um, I think they're owned by Blazer, but they recently started um, importing this one model to North America that we were unfamiliar with prior to this, but they do over and unders, and this is their first semi-automatic. So a lot of folks on the course were saying, well, I, you know, I've never shot a Sauer. I've heard of them before. So that was, um, we had the SL5 out, and that's an inertia-based um, semi-auto, and um, I think it just had a really distinctive look, um, and, you know, aesthetically it was really appealing, but it, um, it just, I guess it had a distinctive feel that folks really liked, and I was really impressed with myself. So I think, to me, that one stuck out um, Was it time. nice and light for carrying? It was a reasonable weight, so okay. I wouldn't say it's um, really lightweight. I want to say it was like a hair over seven pounds, okay. so it wasn't unreasonable to carry all day, but it had a really nice front forward swing the way it was weighted. Um, I think it was like a semi-beaver tail forearm that was a little bit wider, and, you know, folks really thought, hey, this is going to be something really, um, you know, good to grip on in the field. Okay. And I was just really impressed with the way it shot. Hmm. And that was just kind of exciting to me, again, because I had never dealt with um, that make before. Um, and that was the Sour? The SL5. SL5. Yeah. I don't even know that I've heard of that one yet. It was nice. I shot it. Hmm. Yeah. They, they mainly do over and unders, like okay. I was saying. So this was their first semi-auto um, that we've been able to see. And so that was really cool. Nice. Um, the surprise of the day for me was um, Weatherby. They brought out they brought out a new line of inertia semi-autos called the 18 Eyes. So they had the 18 I Deluxe out for us. And I guess most folks, when you hear Weatherby, you kind of think precision rifles. They do a really good job on that. But I didn't know too much about what they did for shotguns. And that 18 I really impressed me. Um, again, we all are different shapes and sizes. I'm a height where I'm pretty lucky that shotguns tend to fit me pretty well right out of the box. But, I mean, this one was like magic. It just, <laughs> it, it fit like a glove the way it swung, the way it fit. Um, the action was really like smooth butter, you know, just opening and closing that receiver. I just, to me, that one really stood out and I was really impressed with. And nice. I guess what I was thinking is kind of odd, too. I'm diehard in the gas-operated semi-auto boat, and then I just named two inertia-powered <laughs> semi-autos here on this list. So this was a little unique to me. Um, and then off of that, I'm really loyal to the Browning line. The Satori is the first over and under I ever bought myself when I was younger. And I just, I'm a fan favorite. I think folks really like those Satori lines. Um so they came back and brought back the Lightning after they took that away, I think it was last or two years ago, um, came, brought it back with a little bit of a redesign. And um, we were able to review the White Lightning at Showcase. And um, the receiver, they changed up the design on that a little bit. So the engraving is just really, it's it's beautiful, but over like understated, not overdone at all. And it, But it's still got all the traditional things you like about the Satori, you know, like the rounded pistol grip, um, that nice receiver. Um, the profile on the rib, just 
just a phenomenal gun and I'm glad they were able to bring that back and folks kind of really reflected that like hey this is one of our classic favorites you know the American Satori over yeah. and under that folks really like it, it does feel like in many ways the Satori is sort of the what most American bird hunters hold up as the the shotgun that they gravitate to mm-hmm. right it's their the standard the classic mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and I guess to sneak in, we didn't actually review this one, but they had the 725 um, featherweight out there, mm. too. Um, folks might recognize that one from having an English stock and um, that really nice receiver. And the 725s, they're just a slight I- upgrade of the regular Satori's. They have different triggers, a different lower receiver, um, and an upgraded wood. But that one was really a delight to shoot as well. Um, I think that will be a phenomenal upling, upling gun just because of the lightweight and, like, the... Um, the design making it so quick to shoulder and swing that was a really nice one too that's what you shot 28 gauge in alabama, in alabama. for quail yep and i own the 28 gauge as well that's I a might have really to it. <laughs> yeah, it's a really it's nice, nice shotgun yeah. and then um my last one was the franke instinct ls mm. so um folks might be familiar they're um, a really nice affordable over and under i've always been really impressed with them i personally own the instinct sl for my grouse gun and it's so lightweight. It's so, um, it just shoulders like a dream. Swings really nice. So the, the Instinct LX is kind of a, a step up from the standard L model, but it's still got like that case called receiver. So it's um, aesthetically really appe- appealing. It's got a higher upgraded wood um, like with a really nice, I had mentioned the case colored receiver, but it's got like um, gold accents with like a bird scene on the receiver. And just it's a really, really nice looking gun. So it's, it's quite a bit heavier, I think, than the SL. I want to say it's like eight or 10 ounces heavier. So again, it's not going to have the same lightweight appeal, but because that higher weight, you could use it more of a crossover gun too. You could use it for sporting and the field. Um, it was just, folks really liked how it shouldered, um, just the whole package, yeah. I guess. It was a nice gun. And Franke always hits the sweet spot on price. <clears throat> price know, I, and quality. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, you can get some more economy over and unders, but you're not losing any quality when you're going in the direction of an instinct. Exactly. So, right. Just I, a nice gun overall. I own the predecessor to the instinct, which was the Franke Renaissance. And same thing, you know, it's like, it's it's a beautifully designed um, over under that hits a you know, reasonable price point for high quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then they're real attractive shotguns. And especially this LX, too. Yeah. Like, when you take a look at it, just I think it rated, like, incredibly high in style. Yeah. You know, and folks, just the comments were like, wow, great-looking gun, great-looking gun. So, yeah, that one was a nice one to see out on the course. Well, all I have to say is after you listen to Rachel a while, I wrote down four words. There are two sets of two. One is passion and shotguns. <laughs> I think, and then the other is as she described them, art and function. Mm. I mean, she wasn't only, she wasn't only talking about function, but how beautiful some of these shotguns oh, are. Right. And that sort of gets, it sort of tells you why I wanted her to do the shotgun showcase this year. When I was saying all this, I wish I was more eloquent with my words. I'm <laughs> like, I can write okay, but on the spot on the podcast, you're like, oh, no. Nope. No. <laughs> I tell you, I, I could see them all. I mean, I, I thought you did great. How many shot? let me, let's get this out for the map for the listeners how many shotguns do you own <laughs> i'll uh, plead this the fifth on that one <laughs> <laughs> don't want hubby to know <laughs> <laughs> it's a passion of mine and i've kind of gone down the slippery slope of specialists so. well there there's your answer she's <laughs> pleading the fifth and not telling us but I'm that not should a give one you an idea none. i've got a, a specific gun no. for everything well so. she <laughs> does that, um you got custom fitted for a shotgun at pheasant fest didn't you i did um that's a, a public service announcement so I'll put out there that you're not going to be able to shoot anything if your gun isn't fitting you correctly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, suck it up and go get your gun fit. Man. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've gone and had a couple guns fit before, but this was my first opportunity where they took custom measurements. And, yeah, I'm going to get it in August, and I'm super excited for it. And that that's a CZ, right? Yeah, CZ um, Upland Supreme. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Well, thanks for telling us. Rachel's going to stick around for the rest of our podcast, too, because uh, we need another voice, but we're going to finish off. Well, and, and just one um, public service announcement. Um, most of the shotgun manufacturers support us yep. and support our um, habitat conservation mission. So 
Um, but uh, one ammunition manufacturer above all else. Uh, yep. So make sure you pick up federal premium ammunition shotgun shells, in particular Prairie Storm, yep. because every time you shoot um, uh, federal shells with the Pheasants Forever logo on it, you're helping contribute to our habitat mission so as they um, tell us w if we shoot them they'll make more yeah yeah and the, <laughs> you know again not to sound overly commercial but you know federal since um the early 80s of this organization has has walked side by side with us in our habitat mission um so you know we can't endorse um, um a company any more strongly then we can endorse federal as, as great partners in our mission. So, yep. um, all right, continuing carp with uh, the upland bird hunting super issue. What's uh, what are some of the the stories that are going to round out this particular super issue of 190 pages? Well, Rachel had just talked about her own grouse gun, and and we don't we can't get out of an upland super issue without talking about ruffed grouse. And I got Matt Soberg, a lot of. A lot of listeners will know that name. Matt is closely associated with Rough Grouse Society. He's also a good friend of Pheasants Forever. And I wanted a rough grouse uh, story from him. And he took it a, an interesting direction and talks a lot about getting a new uh, generation involved. Hunters may be uh, his age, but people who hadn't hunted before. And it's a, it's a great essay on that. It's called The Way. And um, I also had him do a sidebar for folks. You know, we've got a lot of members who are down in the, the central plains uh, and out on the prairie um, and maybe even haven't hunted roughs before. And Matt also did us a companion story on Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan rough grouse, how to plan a trip to come up and hunt rough grouse uh, in, in where all this millions and millions of acres of public land are. You can hunt multiple lifetimes and uh, up here in Chase Ruffs and Woodcock. So uh, no one better in the world to write a story like that than Matt Soberg. Um, we also, last year in the, uh, the second annual issue last year, we didn't have anything on chuckers, and I wanted to this year, and uh, ran across at, at Pheasant Fest, Morgan Mason of Meat Eater, he's associate editor there, and he had a great chucker story he had done with Meat Eater and, and those folks, and we sort of commandeered that <laughs> and the great photography and sort of teamed up and, and put it in the super issue. And it's a great story, too. Yeah, Meat Eater being Stephen Ranella's yes. uh, endeavor, and um, and Morgan Mason, like you said, is the Upland um, Upland associate editor at Meat Eater. Just a great guy. Yep. He's got, uh, I think, his first bird dog, and it's, um, gosh, is it a wire hair? It's, a, I mean, is it's it either a wire hair or dry. I thought it was a griffon. I you're got, right. It's you're right. A it's a Griffon. Yep. So yeah. So I'm I'm looking forward to reading that article. I haven't seen it, seen it, that one yet. It's a great story. Um, uh, Christine Cunningham uh, has done several articles for us. She did a great story. I thought it was going to be about a ptarmigan dog from Alaska becoming a pheasant dog in North Dakota, but as an editor, you find out these writers take things their own direction and almost all the time I'll also tell you it works out yeah. <laughs> because that's they write what they what they are passionate about and this turned into a story about trust hmm. and building trust with her bird dog and um, you've, you've got to read it and Christine does phenomenal photography um, and, and that accompanies this story too. She's a great writer, a great photographer. Uh, you're going to love that story. Uh, David Zumbaugh did a story on Arizona Merns hunting. Um, again, talk about bucket list stuff. That might be one of my bucket lists that I deferred on before was to go down in the desert and, and hunt those, those quail when it's February 16th in Minnesota and you can be down there hunting desert quail. He does a great story on on hunting merns in Arizona. So I, I am doing that this year, yep. but I'm doing it like January 16th. So yeah. I got to 
got to study up. Yep. Well, that, that'll be a good start. Uh, it's a great story. And then, you know, there's just one other story I'll talk about. We talked about Anthony Hauk, our, our former PR director, who's still a great friend of Pheasants Forever. He did a story, and I'll, I'll, I know I'm sounding like a refrain here, <laughs> but I gave him a very specific outline. <laughs> and he totally he nobody to, listens to you. He totally ignored it, and it's all the better because of it. It's honestly um, one of the best upland bird hunting essays I've probably ever read. Huh. It's called Sweet Spots, and I'll, it's it's about sweet spots, places, and sweet pot, sweet spots as times in your dog's life. Hmm. And he really ties it together, and um, it's a great essay too. And and, and there's a lot more, but you know we've we've gave we've talked a lot about the stories in this issue and the shotgun showcase, and um, it's I, I'm really excited about it. It's it's hard to, uh, and we're still working on it as we record this podcast, but um, it's going to be a great issue, uh, the biggest one we've ever done. I'm so excited. I, I sort of said to Bob, we got it. We got to do a podcast on this <laughs> and uh, maybe it'll get some members. And f- a- a- at the very least, I hope it's getting our member listeners excited for it. Yeah. And so, so we'll, we'll make that uh, call to action again. Um, you know, pheasants forever and quail forever exists for habitat mission. And for, you know, since 1982, 90 cents on the dollar that we raise for that $35 membership up to, you know, if you want to buy a lifetime membership uh, for a thousand ninety cents on the dollar gets into the ground to create more habitat. Um, this uh, upland bird hunting super issue is just our way of trying to hook you, to tease you into to making that commitment to conservation. Um, but ultimately, we hope you join for the mission. We yep. hope that, uh, you know, th- protecting these wild places, creating public access to these wild places, and creating better habitat for these wild places is ultimately why you join, why you stay. But, uh, you know, if you're looking for what's in it for you on top of those wild places and better habitat, we hope the upland bird hunting super issue is uh, one way to get you involved. Uh, when when we post this um the super issue cover on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram, you'll see a link to the website, pheasants forever, quail forever.org. And with that link will also be not only a subscription to, to get the publication, but probably a knife on top of it. <laughs> uh, so, so we, we do ask of you to get involved, um, to join the organization, sign up, doesn't matter if it's pheasants forever, quail forever. You're going to get the super issue. If you sign up by the end of the day, 4th of July, we're going to pull the file July 5th and start processing those members to receive the super issue. From that point forward, you'll be a member of the most efficient nonprofit conservation organization in the country, and uh, you'll have... Carp's undying gratitude. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the final tease um, after the super issue will be our fall issue. Yep. And the fall issue has another special theme to it. Yep, public lands. And, and that ties back to the super issue, and it ties forward to the fall issue, and it ties to everything we do. I mean, it, it, just as I look at Rachel here, and I can give you multiple examples of work she does specifically to raise money for public land acquisition in Minnesota. And we hunted one together last year uh, out in western though. Minnesota <laughs> and together with our, with our young bird dogs. And in addition to Bob's message about the mission, it's about public lands, and that's what that public lands issue is about, not only what we're doing, but places you can go to hunt public lands. And, and back to the Upland Super issue, most of these adventures that we've talked about, they're on public land. Like, All like of mine are. Kansas post rock chickens and doves, every acre we're on was yep. public land. My horseback hunt in Montana, block management land, public yep. land. Private land open to access through Yep. Government programs, which is a lot of what we do. 
Yep. Um, we acquire land and turn it over to state or feds and it becomes uh, WMA or WPA or we work through the farm bill and open up private land for public access, all sorts of ways that we improve habitat, improve access, and for 35 bucks, you can help us do that and uh, also get a subscription to the Pheasants Forever Journal or Quail Forever Journal and one final time, by the end of the night on the 4th <laughs> of July, yep. sign up and you'll get the super issue. You can do that at pheasantsforever.org or just as importantly, quailforever.org. Carp, Rachel, thank you very much for giving us uh, kind of the overview of the Upland Bird Hunting Super Issue. Thanks. Thanks. All right, folks, you've listened to uh, another episode of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing podcast. Get out there online, pheasantsforever.org, quailforever.org. We'll get you signed up, and then after that, we'll get you connected to a chapter. So you can get involved with the Habitat mission right there in your own community and start uh, making a difference for the pheasants, for the quail, for Hungarian partridge, sharp-tailed grouse, pollinators, monarchs, public access right there in your own community. But you got to start with pheasantsforever.org or quailforever.org. Thanks for listening to this episode, and we will see you out there on a block management WMA or WPA somewhere in the hinterlands. In the uplands. Thanks, folks. <laughs>